Welcome to the Ancient World Podcast. So today we're going to continue with the paradise. But first of all, just a big thank you to everyone who is listening and who uh, keep up with all the episodes and uh, go through the whole, like every canto of, of the book. It's, uh, it's kind of heartwarming and it's uh, inspiring as well. So um, it also builds up kind of towards the end and the whole, when you get the whole fullness of the work. So it's... Uh, it's been a joy these last two months, and uh, we now so we're two thirds in the book, and then uh, things change a lot in this canto. So we're coming to the the sphere of Saturn. It's a different planet, and the topic is very different. It's about contemplation, and you're back to more the beauty and the deep philosophy and other topics that you kind of get the sense that this is more where Dante himself. <laughs> The topics that he loves to write about. It's just a, that it's a very different emotion and feeling in this. And also maybe when, when he came to this point in the book that he felt that he was going to make it and he had <laughs> come, come far both in the paradise and the whole work of the comedy. So the planet for this seventh sphere is Saturn. And Saturn is the Roman word of Kronos. Kronos was one of the titans. He's the youngest one of the 12 titans in the Greek mythology. Uh, he's the one who overthrows Uranus, the father, who is then... Uh, Uranus was given birth by Gaia. So just from the whole beginning, you have chaos, then emerges Gaia and four other primor primordial deities. And then Gaia gives birth to Uranus, which is the sky, and she's the earth. And then they have 12 titans. Kronos is the youngest one. And he overthrows Uranus. And then there's a prophecy that the same will happen to Kronos, and then eventually he will get he will get Zeus. So he will try to eat up all the babies that he has with Rhea, but the sixth one she hides it with the nymphs at the outskirts of Mount Olympus, and then that little baby grows up and becomes Zeus, and then Zeus goes back to the mountain and overthrows Kronos. But Kronos is uh, he's the ruler of of the first age, the golden age of the Greek mythology. So that is the name of the planet. And then for the angelical beings in Saturn, the seventh sphere is the thrones. And the saying is that upon the thrones, God sits. And they represent the supreme tranquility, serenity, peace surpassing all understanding. And this is the, the sphere of the contemplatives, and they also represent um, the divine steadfastness. So in this canto, the theme is the contempl contemplation and the contemplatives, and also the ladder. We'll get to this. But the ladder is the main symbol of this one. Which, in again, is a, is a symbol of the monastery in the medieval thinking. That the monastery was the, the ladder from the earthly up towards the divine. And then when it comes to Dante and his, how he is being influenced by the sphere, there are some, it's not, this varies from, from heaven to heaven, how much he is reflecting the theme of the sphere. But he is more lost in thought a couple of times. And there is also the language is more filled with contemplative words. So it's, it's kind of an indirect influence for his mood through the topic. 
So then, just some overall thoughts on the canto before we start. It's 142 lines. This is the transition point between the lower six spheres and what comes above. Again, just like a monastery was seen to be. It's a silent sphere. So there's a big contrast. Saturn is the cold planet. Mars was the hot one. Jupiter is the temperate. And then Saturn is the cold planet. But there's also an intense, like the, the spiritual energy or spiritual fire is more intense here than ever before. So there's a contrast to the environment of the planet and, and the strength of the souls here. We also have lots of beauty and uh, we're going to meet one person and Dante has three questions. And again, there's, there's a huge relief now that we, when we arrive at, at Saturn compared to the previous, almost since the Canto 14. So now it's a, it's a huge shift. So it opens like this. By now I had my eyes fixed once again upon my lady's face and with my eyes my mind, which was oblivious of all else. She was not smiling, but were I to smile, she said to me, what Semele became, you would become, burned to a heap of ashes. My beauty, as you have already seen, becomes more radiant with every step of the eternal palace that we climb. And if it were not tempered, such effulgence would strike your sight the way a bolt of lightning shatters the leafy branches of a tree. So, these are the 12 opening lines and the, and the prologue or the, kind of the framing. There are, um, the theme series is also for the intensity. So, Simile, when she said, if I were to smile, you, be, you will become like Simile became, burnt or heap of ashes. So, Simile, this is the Greek mythology, uh, she was a lover of Jupiter, and therefore she's tricked by Juno, Jupiter's wife, to ask Jupiter if she can see him in his full splendor. And when he does that, the radiance of just the king of the gods is just too strong for her, so the radiance just burns her to death. So that is the story. And then this is what Beatrice is saying to Dante, that... I cannot smile anymore because we're so high up in the heavens. The energy is so strong. So I have to, to hold it back. And then the second image of this is that if she's not tempering herself, it would strike his sight the way a bolting shatters the leafy branches of a tree. So there's also alluding to like things are becoming too strong for Dante. He's not spiritually strong enough or capable of absorbing or receiving the, the level of energy that we're coming to. We have ascended to the seventh light, which underneath the lion's blazing breast sheds down its radiance mingled with his might. Now back your eyes with an attentive mind. Make of them perfect mirrors for the shape that in this mirror shall appear to you. So this is Beatrice saying that the perfect, like the mirror is the planet Saturn. And then also the lion's blazing breast. This is that in the spring of 1300, which is the date set for the story, Saturn is in the constellation of Leo. So this is a combination for the sphere that you have the, uh, you have this 
austere silence and tranquility of Saturn as a planet, but then you have the kind of the, the strength of the lion, kind of the, the burning soul. If one could understand with what delight my eyes were feeding on that blessed face when I, at her command, turned them away, then he would know how much joy it gave me to be obedient to my heavenly guide, were he to weigh one joy against the other. So what he's saying here is that he's both, the two joys is to, to look at Beatrice's beauty, which is a symbol of the divine revelation, the divine wisdom, the spiritual love. So there's a that is one joy. The other joy for him is to obey her. And then the reason that wh- why the joy of obeying her is is growing because her beauty is growing for him. So this is how <laughs> the first is a bit convoluted the way he says it, but if you understand the delight he feels when he sees her, in the symbolic sense, what she represents, then you would understand also his joy in obeying the the, the divine wisdom, the spiritual beauty and love and intelligence and energy. Within the crystal, which still bears the name, as it goes round the world of that dear king under whose rule all evil was extinct, so the dear king is Kronos, the titan who was the ruler of Mount Olympus. And he, this is the first of the five ages in the Greek mythology, and it was called the Golden Age. And that was, uh, that was peace and harmony. And as Dante says, all evil was extinct. I saw color of gold as it reflects the sun, a ladder gleaming in the sky, stretching beyond the reaches of my sight. So here comes the main image for the canto, a, a ladder, like a golden ladder gleaming in the sky. And it's also important here that it's it's not made up by souls, it's just kind of a structure of the paradise, this ascent and this transition. And I saw coming down the golden rungs so many splendors that I thought the heavens were pouring out the light of every star. So now the the souls are coming and they're then descending down the stairs. So the, the reference here is from, uh, from the Old Testament with Jacob and the ladder. So Jacob's ladder is one of the one of the key events in Genesis when in the terms of the story and when you read it and in terms of Jacob, he has the dream where it's very short, just one or two lines, where it's just the heavens open and then a ladder comes and then the angels are moving up and down the ladder, which is representative of just a channel to the divine and the angels, the, the word angel means messenger in Greek. So it's just like having information or getting signals go or an understanding that's been transmitted through the channel into the divine so it's a very very deep symbol and and uh, kind of a, it's a, also in in the in genesis a transitional point 
where because when this happens, Jacob wakes up and he has a pillow uh, of stone. So he just raises up the stone, oils it, and then he founds Beth El, which means the house of God. El is the name of the God in the beginning in the Old Testament. And Beit is the old ancient Hebrew. It's the letter B, Beta, but Beit means house. So it's house of God. So this is the reference. Very obvious, kind of clear reference. As crows, obedient to instinctive ways, will flock together at the break of day to warm their frigid feathers in the sky, some flying far away not to return, some coming back to where they started from, some staying where they were, wheeling about. Just such a rush of movement happened here, with all that sparkling have flocked as one, and then alighted on a chosen rung. So he's describing all the souls that are moving up and down and around on the ladder. And then as he uses the image of, of birds flocking. A splendor from the sparkling nearest us became so bright that I said to myself, I see the love for me with which you glow. But she who teaches me the how and when to speak and not to speak keeps still. So I, against my will, do well not asking now. This is a, this is one of the places you can feel this contempl- <laughs> contemplative mood that Dante is not. In some cantos, he's very eager. He's also a little bit aggressive in one one of the heavens. Here, he's he's more um, thoughtful and calm. Then she who saw my silence in the sight of him whose vision can behold all things said to me, Satisfy your deep desire. So now Dante wants to start talking with the first soul. I know I am not worthy in myself. To have an answer from you, I began. But for the sake of her who gives me leave, to speak, O blessed life, hidden within your happiness, I pray you, let me know what is made you come so close to me and tell me why heaven's sweet symphony is silent here in this sphere while below in all the rest its pious strains resound she has two questions why is this soul chosen to to approach and talk with Dante and the other one is why is it quiet why is there no music your hearing is but mortal like your sight he said there is no singing here just as there is no smile on Beatrice's face. Only to welcome you with words and light with which my soul is mantled do I come this far down on the sacred ladder steps, nor was it greater love that prompted me. As much and even more love burns above. You see it in the flaming lights up there. So he says that the first part is that the second question of Dante is that there is no music, the same way that Beatrice is not smiling because things are getting too intense and too strong. So they're holding it back. And then the first question, this this light is starting to explain that he was just doing what he was chosen to do. He didn't, there is no deeper decision on his own part. But that deep charity which urges us to serve the wisdom governing the world, 
assigns each soul his task, as you can see. So now we're starting one of the most complicated and challenging questions for the medieval theology about predestination. If people were chosen to do specific things because it touches upon freedom of will and also responsibility and and uh, trying to understand in some sense the the reasoning if someone is predestined for good and some are predestined for bad that it's there's a question of justice in this oh holy lamp i said i clearly see how in this court a love entirely free gladly obeys eternal providence. What I find hard to understand is this. While you alone among your fellow souls have been predestined for this special task. I had not finished speaking when the light, just like a millstone at full speed, began to spin around its inner luminance. And then the love that was inside it said, a ray of God's light focuses on me and penetrates the light and wombing me, whose force once joined to that of my own sight, lifts me above myself until I see the primal source from which such might is milked. From this derives the joy with which I burn. The clearness of my flame will ever match my clarity of spiritual vision. Yet even heaven's most illumined soul that Seraph, who sees God with keenest eye, could not explain what you have asked to know. So this is a... <laughs> this light is using a lot of words to say that even the Seraphims, the, the top of the angelical beings, who are just pure love, they cannot, they too cannot understand the mystery and the problem of predestination. So therefore, this light cannot understand it and then the mortals cannot understand it. The truth you seek to fathom lies so deep in the abyss of the eternal law it is cut off from every creature's sight. And tell the mortal world when you return what I told you so that no man presume to try to reach a goal as high as this. There's an interesting point there because the one of the ambitions and one of the objectives for the whole book is to provide a path and a journey through the spiritual and to give more knowledge for the understanding. And in many places Dante is giving kind of concrete um, information or knowledge or explaining questions and alternatives for like how to interpret things. So, but this one is really where he says that we should not even try. It's just too deep, and it it's a one of also one of those places where you can feel Dante as a writer is shining a little bit through, that he just admits that he does he does not understand this. So he's not going to try to make some in this book to to make some uh, some claims to 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 have an idea of where to even where to look at this. It's just deep in the abyss. The mind that shines here smolders down on earth. How then can it accomplish down below what it cannot even once it reaches heaven? So it's the same topic that even when they 
the blessed ones are up in the heavens, they, they will not understand this. I put aside that question, which his words had so proscribed me from and only dared with humble voice to ask him who he was. So now it's the last part. We're going to find out who this delight is. Between two shores of Italy, not far from your own birthplace, rise great crags so high that thunder sounds from far below their peaks. They form a humpback ridge called Katria, below which stands a holy hermitage once dedicated to God's praise alone. So Katria, this is uh, Monte Katria, which is a is a place, there's a mountain between Umbria and Marche. Like in, in the middle of Italy, you have Tuscany and Umbria and Marche. So this is where this person is coming from. And the hermitage is uh, the monastery of Santa Croce di Fonte Avellana. Thus, he began his third address to me and then went on to say, There I became so steadfast in God's service that I lived on nothing but plain foods in olive oil, suffering gladly heat and cold all year, content in only thoughts contemplative. So here comes the key word, contemplative, and the person is describing being in the monastery. That cloister once produced for all these heavens, harvest of souls, but now it is so barren, and soon its decadence must be exposed. So now the, the constant theme of critique of the church is, is coming back. There I was known as Peter Damien, Peter the sinner in Our Lady's house that lies along the Adriatic shore. So Peter Damien, is, um, he was a cardinal, cardinal of Ostia. He was born in t- 1007, and lived to twenty, sorry, ten seventy-two. Um, so he he came from from more uh, more simple background, and he became became an abbot, and then f- eventually a cardinal of the church. Li- little of mortal life remained to me, when I was called and forced to wear the hat, which seems to pass only from bad to worse. And this is like he. He became a cardinal against his will. So therein lies much of the critique that is now coming for the rest of the canto, the critique of the church again. Lean and barefooted, Cephas came, and came the mighty vessel of the Holy Spirit, both taking food wherever it was offered. Your modern pastors need all kinds of help, one here, one there, to lead, to prop and hold up their behinds. They are so full of food. So this is, he's describing like the pastors and the, and the church representatives having lackeys, or like slaves or helpers that had to help them in, in all sorts of ways and to prop and hold up their behinds. And that they're so full of food is more like the, the corruption of the church and, and symbolic of, of all the that they had commercialized it and they were just, instead of staying to, true to the faith, they had gone astray. Their flowing cloaks cover the horse they ride. Two beasts beneath one hide appear to move. Oh, heaven's patience, what you must endure. So the two beasts is then, 
especially all the bishops and the high representatives, when they were traveling on horses, they had long cloaks that covered the horses, like two beasts into one. As he spoke these last words, I saw more flames descending, whirling rung to rung, and they grew lovelier with every, every whirl they made. Around this light they came to rest, and then, in one voice, all those lights let out a cry, the sound of which no one on earth has heard, nor could I hear their words for all the thunder. So this is where it ends, and this is one of the back to one of the hooks that you you end in a, in suspense from a canto. So all the all the lights have come together, and then you hear this enormous sound, which is the the loudest sound in the whole of the comedy. You can also just comment on the rungs are also symbolic of when you're climbing the rungs of the ladder, the rungs are either virtues or they can also be the truths that you kind of ascend one by one in this transition to the highest of the heavens. So uh, this is where the canto ends and uh, I hope you enjoyed some of this and, and get a sense of the, the changing feeling and the, like we're coming back to theology, philosophy, the beauty and and it's more visual in a in a more kind of inspiring and, and open sense. So this this kind of lays the shows a little bit of kind of the landscape that we're moving into now and uh, there will be more of this in the in the, the rest of the of this sphere and, and beyond as well. So uh, this is all for today and then um, as always, hope some of this was uh, inspiring or f- food for thought. And thank you so much for listening and have a great day.